sermon too, so that's cool. Um, and if you have your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, we're getting started here on a new series, a vision series uh, here uh, at, at the church. One of the things we want to ask ourselves from time to time is to zoom back out and say, ask the question, why do we do what we do? Like, why do we live the way that we live? It's so easy to get caught up in the rat race of life and just kind of in the, the rhythms of our week and our year. And, and sometimes we just need to pause, zoom back out and say, what on earth are we here for? And why do we do the things we do? Why do we make the choices that we make? Maybe they're small choices, like you're at the store and you're deciding uh, what to put on your sandwich and you buy mayonnaise because you're in sin, right? It's Miracle Whip. I don't know how many times... I have to disciple you guys. I'm going to go pastor the Bible chapel. Uh, I bet they have Miracle Whip. So uh, Miracle Whip is probably more charismatic. So anyway, uh, about, about, ten, about 10 years ago, why, why do we make the choices we make? About 10 years ago, I was pulling into my parents' driveway, and uh, the Vivint van was there in front of their house the home security guys, you know, and so I thought, that's weird. My parents don't have Vivint. Um, I, I walked into the door, in, inside, into the door, ouch. I, I walked into the house, and my mom was there, and she was all excited. She's like, Justin, we're going to get a new home security system. Like, she had the pen in hand, and she's ready to sign their life away to the Vivint guy. And, and I said, Mom, what are you doing? You don't even lock your doors. Like, literally, like, growing up in high school, like, when we were in high school, we were going to take a two-week vacation, and we were like, should we lock the doors? Is that a good, responsible thing? We looked, we literally didn't even know if we had a house key. Like, we never, never, I don't know if I should be informing all the burglars of that, (laughs) that they live on Lawrence Street, just off of Community Call. And I'm on YouTube, so that's great. Um, So, 47207, that shouldn't, okay, let's just, let's stop over here. So, I said, what in the world are, are you doing? Well, she had been sold, she had been sold on an idea, right? And so I had a little sidebar with mommy, gave the Vivint guy a cookie and and told her she had lost her ever-loving mind. And we got that all straightened out, didn't get Vivint. But uh, why do we make the choices we make? Why do we live the way we live? And why do we buy home security systems that we're never going to use? James K. Smith speaks to this. He says, it is not primarily our minds that are captivated, but rather our imaginations that are captured. And when our imagination is hooked, we're hooked. He says, basically, every one of us has this idea that we're like King Arthur in search of the Holy Grail. Uh, He goes on to say, it's that hoped for, longed for, dreamed of picture of the good life, the realm of human flourishing that we pursue without ceasing. And it's such visions of the kingdom that pull us to get up in the morning and suit up for the quest. Now, whether we know it or not, and most of this is on a subconscious level, every little choice and every major choice that we make is part of this bigger imagination we have of what we think the good life is. So the reason my mom was going to make the choice of buying that home security package from Mr. Swindler was because he had captured her imagination. He had painted her a picture of the good life, that her house could be a castle with an impenetrable moat of bells and whistles, (laughs) vivant her mighty steed, she the valiant knight, and he sold her on this story of the good life, that she could basically be home alone guy, and that Vivint would be her paint can and, and Hot Wheels, right? Stop the bad guys. 
we're going to launch a, a five-week vision series today. We called it Transformed by the Storyteller. And what we're going to be exploring over the fi- these next five weeks is two central ideas that I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about this morning. The first one is that purpose comes from story. Purpose comes from story, or to say it in sentence form, we are being transformed by the story we believe we are living in. We are being transformed by the story we believe we're living in. Let me explain. Alistair McIntyre, he asks the question this way. He says, I can only answer the question, what am I to do? So what am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? What am I to do, our purpose, by if I can answer the question of what story do I find myself a part So the story that we believe we're living in will determine uh, what we believe our purpose is. So we we talked about Eowyn earlier, uh, Lord of the Rings, right, Frodo Baggins. Um, he, He gives his life in search of this one little ring because he believes that it will save Middle Earth, right? So his purpose, everything, every decision that he makes, every, every person that he befriends, every, every meal that he eats, every journey is all wrapped around this story. He defines his purpose from the story he believes he's living in. And this is for us, too, that, that every choice in our lives, every relationship that fills our lives takes their meaning from this story. We have, in our mind, we have this a narrative quest for the good life, for Frodo, it was finding this ring to save Middle-earth. It's for, the, for Arthur and his knights, it was to find the Holy Grail. I'm sorry, I was a child of the 90s. It's, it's going to come out. Uh, or to find that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And this story that we, and make no mistake, we are all believing a story or stories that we're living in. And those stories are dictating the way that we live. So, of course, the question is, what's the true story? And how do we really live? In God's word, we are not left to mystery. Um, Classically, the the story of the Bible can be summed up in four words. Uh, Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. So we know that in the beginning, God created everything. He made us for relationship with himself, to worship him as God. But we know the story takes a hard left turn, and mankind refuses to worship God as he is. And the relationship is broken. God is not worshipped rightly. But then the rest of the story of the Bible is a rescue story. It's God redeeming his people, uh, the people of earth, through Israel, where his rescuer comes and redeems. Redemption is redeem. That's just a big Bible word for to buy back, to save, to rescue his own. And then at the end, all things will be consummated. What does it mean to consummate? Why don't you ask your parents when you get home? Let's just kind of not go there. All right. uh, but no, consummation means to bring uh, to the end, right? To, to, uh, en- to, to the point at which something is complete. So our story ends, the story of the Bible ends with earth and heaven as one. God and his faithful people dwelling together again for eternity in right worship of him. So the Bible, the Bible tells us that the story is about God. Our story is primarily about a person, and it's the person of God, and it's the worship of that God. And and, and therefore, our quest, our purpose, our identity is all wrapped up into this. And to be out there proclaiming the good news of inviting people back into what God's purpose was for us in Eden, now realized in Christ, to have relationship with God now and forever. Romans 12 talks about this. This is our central text this morning. Romans 12, verse 1, we're looking at the Christian Standard Bible on the screen. Uh, Therefore, brothers and sisters, Paul says, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So what Paul says here, he, he defines worship 
as what? He says, present your bodies as this living holy sacrifice. Our, our worship is giving ourselves to God. Uh, and, and to believe, when we do that, we say, God, I'm giving myself to you. I am believing what you say is reality. The story you have for my life is my story. Your, what you say my purpose, what you say my identity is, is the truest thing about me. And then he says, this is what happens. Here's the result of giving ourselves to God. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this age. We'll talk about that in a moment. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He says, when we give ourselves to God, a transformation begins to happen. And he says, our, our mind is renewed. We start seeing things differently. We start to see the world as it is, the story as it is. And we are able to start to discern or test what the will of God is, to be able to live in his purpose. What is God's will for our lives? But here's the problem. We also become what God doesn't want us to be when we give ourselves to things or stories other than him and his true story. Notice here it said, do not be conformed to this age. We just talked about in, this, in, in our series through Daniel. This world's story is not the same as God's story. Colossians 2, Paul says this, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, right? wrong ways of thinking about the reality around us, and high-sounding nonsense, got to love the new living, that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So he says there are going to be false versions of the story bombarding us every single day. My, my favorite section of the Psalms are the Psalms of Ascent, where uh, once a year or several times a year, the, 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 the people of Israel would pilgrim their way to Jerusalem, where they would worship God at his temple where he dwelled. And on the way, they would, they would, they would look around, and there are all these menacing mountains surrounding them. I love at the beginning of Psalm 121, it says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? On this dangerous desert mountain journey, there are all these, there's wild animals, there are robbers, there are all sorts of uh, things that can distract them, pull them away, prevent them from getting where they are trying to go to worship God. And uh, we too, brothers and sisters, are surrounded by mountains luring us away, attacking our minds every day of the journey. Now, for us, it can look sometimes like forms of entertainment, right, that tries to lure us away, sell us on false versions of the good life. If you finally have the perfect sex life, everything will go well. If you finally get that perfect vacation getaway, the year will be good. If we finally get that political candidate voted in, all will be well. And just like my mom with Mr. Vivint, the mountains are not just working on our logic. They are trying to capture our imaginations. Because if they can get our imaginations, James Smith said, we're hooked. So, for example, like nobody smokes cigarettes for the health benefits, right? Like we've read the surgeon warning. We know. We're not like, oh, that's my brain on drugs, right? Like we know. We know. But what we're sold on is that this can be a part of the good life. I saw this advertisement on Google Images. The times they have changed. 2,679 physicians recommend this version of a cigarette, right? Dave, what recommends, what, which cigarette do you recommend, right? Thanks, doctor. None of them. All right, so we progress, we pro, there's progress, right? But what do we, people are being sold on this reality that if you smoke this cigarette, you'll feel good. You'll look the way you want to look. You'll numb the pain. Whatever it is, and imaginations get captured and addictions get formed, not because of logic, but after, often, usually, right in the face of logic. 
We live in these false stories every day. We call these false stories, these narratives, ideologies. Uh, I love David Coises. He says ideologies are basically modern forms of idols. So just think an idol, worshiping something other than God. In fact, you can kind of see the word idol in ideology. Um, it's when we take something that God created and we make it our God, believing that this thing can save us from what we believe we need to be rescued from. And really, this just becomes a false version of the creation, fall, redemption, consummation story. So that's a little, let's, let's use a couple of examples to help walk this out. The first one can be the, the story of consumerism or maybe materialism. This is the acquiring or consuming of goods. And if we live according to this story, uh, we would say that creation, right, what we're made for is to take what I want, to consume. Uh, when I, and when I get stuff, that's my Eden. To get stuff, to have stuff, that's my happy place. So then, of course, the fall in the version of this story would to be not having that stuff. And that makes me sad, right? My pockets are empty. That we believe our sadness and frustration come from lack. That we are not able to consume the things we need to consume. So in this story, what would be the redemption? What would be the rescue? Well, it's shop therapy, right? Salvation shopping. That we believe that we're sold on these ideas every day, sold hooking our imaginations that if I buy this product, if I sign up for this thing in 30 days or less, I'll have the body that I want. I'll have the happiness that I want. I'll get rid of that pear-shaped figure, that pimply face, that whatever, whatever it might be, right? I'm going to update my wardrobe. I need to get that phone that has more than 18 photo lenses because that's not enough, right? The new one has 47. Finally, that we are bored, we are frustrated, and the verse that would go along with this mentality would be, if ye shoppeth, ye shall find it, right? And that's the version of the good life we're being sold. Now, we know this isn't true, right? We know that this leads to nothing but disappointment six seconds after clicking on purchase now or after our, our white knight in the UPS van backs down our driveway and gives us the box, right? It didn't, of course, that doesn't sustain happiness. It's not logic. It's hooked our imagination. And the idea here is that consumption, the good life, is when I have everything that I Want. My will has been done. Another version of the a false story that we can live in is conservatism. So this idea to conserve, to keep or maintain something that we believe is irreplaceable. We can't lose it. We're afraid that it might be erode or be taken away. Think about water in California. We've got to conserve the water because we're afraid we don't have enough, and if it's taken away, we're going to run out. But we do this politically as well, right? Uh, the political idea of p political conservatism says that w w when was creation? Well, I started back in 1776, right? When we created this nation as it should be, and then this thinking says that the fall, that we've, when we've fallen away, the slow erosion or the taking away of our ideals, our morals, our beliefs, our lifestyles has been snatched from us by the devil progressivism, that we've moved away from the ideal Edenic paradise of 1776. And so redemption, rescue, would come from getting back to the laws and lifestyles of 1776. Basically, it's the idea of taking America back or just preventing further erosion and I know I'm treading on some toes here. The danger here is the romantic notion of an ideal past that honestly never existed in the first place. Eden was not 1776, right? And, and ultimately, and we have to be really careful that we're not forming it on our nation's traditions and values and way of life and not the way of Jesus and God's word. So we have to be careful here. And then we know that ultimately our hope is not found in going back to anything, but moving forward to the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. 
the consummation of this would be we're back in Eden. We're going to look like this kid, right? We have wooden teeth and, and wigs just like the general, right? Now, now please, here, we can do the same exercise with progressivism. This is not also, I'm not trying to make a political stance here, right? I just know the room. Like, w- hear me on this. We are we're not poo-pooing these ideas outright. Like we consume things, right? We consume water. We consume food. And there are good things and morals and ideals to try to conserve. But here's the problem. When those become the main story and not a part of the bigger story that God is having us to live in, and these mountains can pull us away from the right worship of the true God, and we start bowing our, our, our bodies to these false idols and ideologies. There's only one. There is only one who is worthy of all the rest of creation revolving around and serving, and that is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God three in one. He's the holy grail. Like he's the pot at the end of the, the rainbow. He is the precious. And I won't do the Gollum impersonation and, and freak you guys out. The pursuit of this God, the worship of this God that we were created for, that we fell from, and now we're being redeemed back to, and where all things will consummate is around the person of Yahweh. James Smith, he says it this way, uh, in reflection on this, we need to take an audit of our own life. So you get to play IRS of your own life. That's fun for a change, right? So ask yourself a couple questions. Uh, What false story might I be living in? Uh, Now, when we think about this, more is caught than taught. We'll talk about this next week. Um, that we, no one declares, I am living in the false narrative of consumerism, right? Like, we don't say that. Maybe you did, and we got therapy for you. But, like, we, our beliefs are evident by our life, by our habits, by our practices, by the way we actually live. So we have to ask ourselves, what are my everyday practices? Show me, I'll show you my practices, and I will show you what I actually believe. So two really good ways to press in on this is to to ask about how do I spend my time? Look at my calendar, and how do I spend my money? Look at my wallet or credit card or online clouds or whatever we use now. What version of the good life or story do you find embedded into those practices? Maybe, Maybe you are a consumer, a materialist. Maybe you are a conservative. Maybe you're a progressive. Whatever. Again, and honestly, we're all living out multiple versions of false stories. It's this big conglomerate thing that we kind of mess up and and twirl around. For me, a a couple of things, maybe just again to kind of give some landing places with this. One of mine is frugalism, right? Frugalism. So to me, the good life is to basically be Scrooge McDuck with this large pile of money in some bin in my, some 401k or Roth IRA that I can just save. And it, and it gives me this false idea of security. So this idea, this belief that the good life is found in just saving all of my money starts to transform the way that I live. So I, my life motto when it comes to spending money is simple. Don't, right? It's such an easy litmus test. And it makes it really easy on our marriage, right? Just really, really easy. Um, so... Another, uh, and, and, and it affects my generosity toward others, right, or the lack of generosity. If I buy this lie that I have to keep everything I have, man, you can see the way that distracts me from mission. Another one is successism. I'm making up these things. Um, I, I have, so I'm a competitive person. Um, I want to be successful in whatever I'm doing, and that bleeds into being a pastor, 
Like it's easy for me. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying this is right. But it's easy for me to want to believe the lie that the good life for me is to become this super successful pastor, which according to our kind of world's metric, it can become this big, you know, mega church, build the stadium, right? Watch out, Bible Chapel, we're coming for the number one, the power rankings in the local, whatever it is. I'm, I'm repenting on a daily basis, I'm telling you guys. And there's good things in wanting a church to grow and people get saved. But you see the way that I live the false narrative that my success, my value before God is based on my success, the way that knocks me off mission. So how are you spending your time? How are you spending your money? Especially in the leisure moments. Like if I'm spending all my time pouring over a certain news feed or social media, binging Netflix, these certain kind of hobbies, or if you're like me, spending all your time at the soup kitchen, like that just tells a lot about you. <laughs> how about my money, right? Like how am I spending my money? Am I, am I poor, especially the extra? We've we got to put food on the table, right? Pay the utilities. But am I pouring all the extra into my vacation times, big, loud Alaskan toys, my cosmetic medics? Like, how we spend our money, how we spend our time reveals the good life that we believe. And maybe if, if you need some guidance on how do we reflect on this, how do we think through this, a, a really cool practice, our website, uh, forward slash silence, uh, if you pull up, we have a couple on there. One's called the examine. And this is just a series of questions that can reflect on your day, or you can do this with a week, a month, a year, and say, God, kind of where am I at in this? And take that before the Lord, and he will gently but surely lead us through, expose some of those false narratives, and reorient our hearts to true north. So how do we, how do, we do this? Like, how do we actually, truly live into God's story? Like, that sounds good, but how do we, when we leave the room today, uh, how, do we, how do we move into a different direction? second thing we want to look at here is that rhythms come from rehearsal. Rhythms from rehearsal or the sentence form would be this. Gathering to worship weekly helps us rehearse God's true story so we can live in his rhythms of grace during the rest of the week. So we gather here on a Sunday morning to rehearse the true story of creation, fall, redemption, and consummation so that when we go back out, we can live in the rhythms of his grace for the other six days. See, uh, um, we are in the middle of a, uh, we're starting here, uh, an annual vision series. Uh, we used to do this in November with Mission Month, and we're kind of bumping this up as we just thought it was a good idea with, you know, fall kicking off. This is just a good transition time to do these. We just want to zoom back out and say, what's our purpose? Why are we here? And if you've been with us as a church, we are in year one of a 10-year vision um, that we just, we are lining up with as well as we can through prayer, humbly before God, according to his word. We want to live out, like actually put practical feet to who we think God has created us to be according to his word. And our vision statement, Ross mentioned it earlier, we want to be, a, uh, first service, you weren't here, a gospel-centered community reproducing disciples of Jesus. We believe that we are a community, as we talked about with the Hickeys, that is centered around the good news of Jesus and who he is, and that we go out and make disciples of all nations. This is the Great Commission, right? It's what Jesus, our commander-in-chief, told us to do. Go into the world and make disciples as we obey the great commandments of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is what we want to press into. So how do we do that? How do we walk in that? Well, here at Peninsula Grace, we don't believe there's any conveyor belt, any programmatic thing that we can just pop people out like gingerbread cookies. But we want to create avenues to intentionally walk in this way. And five avenues, we say our heart, part of our vision, is to see every member of Peninsula Grace involved in three things. Or, excuse me, five things, and, and, and they all center around his grace. The first one is gospel-centered learning. We want to be students of the word. To be a disciple is to be a student. We want to be knowing God's word, growing in God's word, applying God's word. We want to be reproducing disciples. Like he said, go make disciples who make disciples. So am I doing that? How do I actually walk in that o- obedience to that command? And we do that in the context of a compassionate community. 
God said, Jesus said, the world will know that I was sent when we love one another as his people. And we do this as egoless servants. We are here to, it is better to give than receive. Jesus showed us that way. when he said, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. But in the middle of grace, in the middle of all of this, at the center of our lives, Romans 12 says that we are involved in awestruck worship of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But what does this look like? How do we worship and why do we do it? Well, what we don't, worship is not, A, worship we do not worship to consume. Remember we said the false story of consumerism, and that can pervade the church too. I, I like the way Sky Jatani said it. He said, we often see church leaders as spiritual baristas, there's, there's me, hey, and the church member as a customer or a consumer. And so the idea would be that, that you would come in in the morning and say, well, what do you need? Are you having a pretty good week and you just need, need me to top you off? Or maybe you're having a really hard week and you need to double, right? And I'm, we're just kind of here to meet, meet the needs of the people that come through the door. And, and what do you like? What's your worship style? Do you like a few spri- spri- uh, hymns sprinkled on? Or should we hold the hymns and give you some extra Bethel, right? It's too, you know, um, okay. What do you, what, what, how long would you like me to preach, right? We could, we could take a poll, venti, grand, grande, whatever the thing, short. Some of you are like short, too, way too long, Justin. Um, how, do you, how many jokes would you like sprinkled in? Like, you know, and now, listen, we are here to receive, right? We're here to receive. God's going to meet our needs in Christ Jesus. But the problem with this consumer mentality is it makes me the main character, and God's kind of my sidekick, my genie that's here to grant my wishes and meet my needs. And that people, how many times somebody leaves, how was the service? I liked it. I didn't like it. We're kind of grading. It's like a Yelp review. Oh, we got four and a half stars. I wish the pastor would have gone a little bit shorter and done one more uh, upbeat song, and then I really would have liked it. We don't worship here primarily to meet our own needs, right? That's not why we're here. We worship to be transformed by God. What we're doing here is not consuming. We are being transformed. We are disciples who are coming together to know and follow Jesus to the glory of God. This is what Romans 12 told us, our text. It said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Well, what is that word? We use that word worship all the time. What does it even mean? Well, the word comes from two things we put together, worthship, worthship. So the idea is what do we value? What do we value? And, and what we value something at is indicated by what we're willing to give for it, give to it, pay for it. And if God is truly, guys, look at me, if God is truly worthy of all our worship, we don't give him 10%. We don't give him an hour and 15 minutes a week. We give him our whole body and our whole lives. This is the good life. We say, God, you are my grail. Like You are the precious. My, my purpose, my quest is you alone. And I give myself to you for your glory. The worship of my God. I love you, God. And that's ironically the best thing for us is to get our eyes off ourselves and put them on him. Then he goes on to say this has an effect in our lives. Or he said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good and pleasing perfect will of God is. He says, when we worship God in this way, it changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we live. And it aligns us with his will and his purposes. But how does it do that? Like, how does giving, like, God, here I am. Like, now what? Right? And this is what we want to press into in this series. Mike Cosper says, and this was really helpful for me, there are two contexts for worship. There's worship gathered and there's worship scattered. Worship gathered and worship scattered. So when we together on Sunday morning, 9 a.m. for some of us, 1045 for a lot more of us, we gather together. 
uh, that we are the body of Christ. We are God's rescued people. And as we gather here on a Sunday morning, we do so to worship. We are rehearsing the story. We're practicing the worship of God, not meaning practice for the real thing. We are doing it. We are worshiping God right here. But we know, and it's been said as a cliche, worship isn't just singing, right? We know that. Worship is not just attending a worship service. Worship is the giving of all of ourselves and all of our lives to God. So it's not just as we gather for that hour 15, it's as we go back out to work in our homes with our children, in our leisure times, 24-7 is worship. So we rehearse what we do here. We're rehearsing the story here, God's true story, so that we go back out scattered. We can actually live this thing out the other six and a half days of the week. This is moving from rehearsal to rhythms, from rehearsal to rhythms. So one of my, one of my uh, practices, my rehearsals, has been to uh, count my calories. So this is my new trusty sidekick, the MyFitnessPal. This is everybody's favorite app. I have chosen uh, the Adonis plan, clearly, right? And that's kind of chiseling away. I'm, I'm almost there, almost there. You should have heard how loud Jill laughed last service. Rebuked her. Um, I kid, I kid. We rebuke on Saturdays. Okay, here we go. Oh, getting punchy. Uh, so uh, my calorie counter is set at 1,910 calories a day. And, and so what this has helped me do, so just this one act of simply counting my calories, it has been incredible the way this has transformed the rest of my life. This is changing the way I see my day and how I plan my meals, what I'm eating at the meals, how much I'm eating at meals. It also, I mean, the deeper issue here for me was a heart issue, that I saw that, man, the spirit's fruit of self-control was lacking in my life, and that I was a consumer of food as I wanted it and did not have any idea of, of moderation or how to do that to the glory of God. So this one practice is transforming the way that I live. But this is our, this is our goal here. As we rehearse God's story here, we go back out and live it in rhythm. So one of the things that we do together is we praise God. We thank God for who he is and what he's done. And that's not just to give him lip service for this hour, but it's to go back out for those other six days. And this starts to disciple us, train our brains as we go back out to be worshipers of God seven days a week. And that as the sun, like yesterday when the sun came out for the first time in, what was it, 12, 13 years? Uh, like, God, thank you. Like, thank you. I have never thanked God so much for sunshine in my life, right? God, I want to praise you. Like, I had that encouraging conversation with, with my brother, whoever that was earlier today. Thank you for that time. Thank you for the way they blessed me, for the way that I blessed them. And we slowly start to flex and build those muscles that we're even thanking and praising him when it rains, right, in the hard times as well. So we gather together and we confess our sin. We have times of just laying our hearts before God. And we don't just do that to, to like, you know, pay the alms and kind of do it once a week. We want to live lives that recognize Man, I need Jesus. I need his rescue. And that helps us go back out in life, on, in, in these rhythms, that we're confessing our sin to each other, to our family members, to our discipleship partners, to our coworkers, to, our, to the people on our street. That we live in the reality of our need for Jesus. As we come together and pray for each other. We have those times of five and five. We always say that's the tip of the iceberg. That we want to go back out and be people that praying for each other here helps shape our minds and go out and be praying for each other, being aware of each other's needs throughout the rest of the week, holding each other up. And as we sit under the instruction of the word from your fabulous preachers here at Prince of Grace, that was no laughter. Wow, okay. Um, now, as you, as you hear the word of God, as, as we're instructed by his word, by him, 
that we wouldn't just, oh, that's a cool, oh, I, never, I never knew that Greek word before. I didn't know that little bit of information. But we're actually being instructed on how to live for the rest of our lives, the other six and a half days of the week. So for the next four weeks, what we want to do is look at some of the specific practices that we do together on Sunday mornings and ask, why do we do these and how do these transform the rest of our life? Romans 12 said that this is our act of worship, giving ourselves to God. But maybe you come in here this morning and you're going, I don't know that God wants what I have to offer. Like, I know what I've done in my past. Like, I know even maybe where I'm at right now. I don't, I don't have anything to offer him worthwhile. And doesn't, in the Bible, Isaiah 64 says we're all infected and impure with sin. That even the good things we do, he says, even our righteous deeds, even our best attempts at doing good things in God's sight are unacceptable. They're filthy rags. So, so how do we offer ourselves in a way that is a holy sacrifice and one that is pleasing to God? I love the way the CSB here says, in view of the mercies of God, offer your body. See, Romans 12 comes after Romans 1 through 11, right? That, that God, Paul has laid out the plan of salvation, how, what, what the Christian life looks like, what God has done for us, who we are in Christ, and now in light of that, we give ourselves to God. So the, in the Old Testament, um, there was a practice of offering sacrifices. And what would happen is the animals were killed, um, the death would be transformed, the blood would be shed, and what would come up was this smoke, right? Their bodies were transformed into this pleasing aroma to God, out of death, out of the shedding of blood. And this pointed ahead. Remember, the, the bulls and goats, they couldn't pay for any sin. They pointed toward Jesus, the ultimate and final sacrifice. And his death, his shed blood on my behalf, purifies me and transforms my life into a pleasing aroma to God. That's what Second Corinthians says. For to God, we are the fragrance of Christ. It's in his finished work, in who we are in him that we can present ourselves. So we don't present our old self. We don't present the one that was dead and impure and in sin. That old man gone. He's dead. We present our new self, those raised from the dead, to new life. Romans 6 says this. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead. You were dead. You were impure. You were unclean. You were unacceptable in God's sight because of our sin. But, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. After I'm done here, we're going to sing a song called Take My Life and Let It Be. And I love this song. I've been singing it a lot this week. Um, and as we sing this, I want us to be thinking about what are specific ways, what are false stories I'm living in, and what are some specific ways that I need to give God, what parts of my body, what parts of my thinking, what parts of my life have been out of sync with his true story. I know for me, I, I was thinking through the line, take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips and let them be filled with messages from thee. And I see how often my lips are not filled with messages from him or for him. And my lips are filled with sarcasm, filled with tearing other people down, doing whatever I can to look good, look smart, look funny in the eyes of other people. Lord, would you, I want to give you my lips. I want to give you my tongue to be used to only proclaim the good news of Jesus, to build the people around me up. 
And the really convicting one that I've learned to loathe, uh, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And man, I withhold the mice. I don't even know what mice are, and I withhold them, right? <laughs> Say, God, what a false sense of security to pump this into a Roth IRA or paying down my mortgage that you would use every single penny that I have in my life to further your kingdom into what moth and rust can never touch. And give these specific things. As, well, as we're singing the song, say, God, what do you, what you have me to give to you? And in Christ, it will be given as a pleasing aroma. Brothers and sisters, let us not conform to the false stories that are mounted all around us. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author of our story, and be transformed for the good of others and for the glory of God, the one whom this story is all about. Just pray with me. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus, the only human who's ever fully come believing and living into your story, that he believed what you said about him, that he was the Savior of the world, that he lived according to your purpose, to lay down his life in death that we may receive it eternally. Father, because Jesus lived into your story, we can now be raised from the dead to a new life. And as we present that new life to you in Christ, we too can begin to live no longer according to the false stories that are mounted all around us, but according to the true version, the true and better good path for us. We trust your heart for us. So, Father, as we sing this song, I just pray that you'd, your spirit would move in hearts, that we would offer our whole selves to you, that you'd, you'd poke and prod into those areas that are not fully surrendered, that need to be changed, need to be altered. But, Lord, to know the grace. This is not us, uh, to us, uh, us, up to us to figure this all out, but your grace is transforming us through the work of Jesus in and through us. So, God, take our lives and let them be ever and only all for thee. And you receive them in the name of your beautiful son, Jesus. And all God's people said it.